Wait, are you... <laughs> are you gonna count me in? Whatever. I'm just gonna go for it. Welcome to the Queen's Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Singleton. And as a child of the 80s, I'd love to say Queen's rule. But they don't. Queen's lead. Being a queen means you are worthy to be a leader of people. The guests on our show do exactly that. They are leading the way in their businesses, families, and communities. And they're taking their rightful place in the spotlight, leading and inspiring the developing queens in all of us. Welcome to the Queen's Lead Podcast. Now here's your host, Amy Singleton, the queen of realness, leading conversations about business, life, and the real shit you want to know. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Queen's Lead Podcast. We are well into season two, and today I have a special treat for you guys. We have Diane Gilman, the queen of jeans. This woman has (laughs) done more in her almost eight decades than I can fathom accomplishing. Welcome, Diane, direct from Manhattan. Thank you for being on our show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Tell us, tell the guests about yourself. Tell us who Diane is. And how you got to be known as the queen of jeans and all the things that you do. You know, I just led um, a a very challenging, but very, I I made sure it was exciting life. And uh, born in 1945, the day after World War II ended, knew from the time I was a toddler. And there wasn't even such a word as fashion designer, that this is exactly what I wanted to do. However, I was born to parents that thought that the biggest sin in the world was having a female child work. You were born to get married, have children, keep a house. So Mm -hmm. I was already up against a big fight there. So when I was a teenager, I ran away from home, never went back. Oh, well, they really blocked me. And I knew I was obsessed, obsessed obsessed with designing and um i met a friend she was the girlfriend of somebody in the doors that you might have heard of jim morrison and little guy we might have heard of right yeah and uh, we so we were sort of immersed in the music industry we opened up a store a little store in LA. And one day Cher walked in and literally bought every single piece of clothing in the store. And that started us out. And then because of the Jim Morrison connection, I met so many rock and roll greats, but I also had a boyfriend who was a record agent. And that's how I met Janis Joplin. And I started making really outrageous embellished clothes denim oriented for all the rock and roll stars and Jimmy and the Jefferson airplane and Gracie slip and, 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 um, I followed the music scene up to San Francisco. And then around 1972, 1973, I thought, okay, party can't go on forever. (laughs) You're growing older and the scene is changing. And you know you've got to go to New York because that's where fashion is. 
but you don't know anybody, but I knew one person. Ended up living with him for like 15 years. Another story. So I go to Manhattan and I don't know anybody. I knock on every door. I say, hi, I'm from California. I did, I made, I made that jacket for Janice Joplin and that pair of pants for, um, for Jimi Hendrix. And they all look at me and their eyes glaze over and shut the door. No nobody, way. nobody would hire me. And so the first thing I learned was you can, that in any industry, entertainment or fashion, where you're talented, talent means nothing to them unless they have already seen that talent generated dollar bills. So mm. the only job I could get, I was a cocktail waitress at night at Max's Kansas City, which was where Andy Warhol and the Rolling Stones and Dan Dan hung out, and I met all of them. And then during the day, I was a sales girl at Bloomingdale's in the girdle and bullet oh apartment. But through that, <laughs> through that I met the fashion coordinator of Bloomingdale's. I used to go home at night in between being a cocktail waitress and a bullet bra salesperson and sew my own little connect collection, even quilted my own pieces. I saw uh, the fashion coordinator. I recognized her from newspapers. And I said, oh, I'm a designer. I've got a little collection. She's like, oh, yeah, 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 another one. But mm -hmm. when they saw it, which they did, they said, wow, you're the next great talent. And they gave me all the windows, a gigantic order, Week after week of centerfold, centerfold wow. ads in the New York Times. And I got started. And then I introduced washable silk to America. And then my name was up in every department store in America when department stores were the, where you went shopping. They yeah. were the fantastic thing to, to do. And um, at that point, I had male partners who absolutely robbed me blind. And I just decided I'm standing up for myself. And I sued them, which was really stupid. They had a lot of money. And they, were, <laughs> they were in their own way, really scary guys. But I did it and I wasn't winning. And uh, my money, all my money that I made is like going out to lawyers. So long story short, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to have to rethink my whole life. I mean, this is the worst mistake in history. And then I get a phone call. Now I'm about 45 years old. Here's the phone call. And no cell phones, right? This is 1993, mm -hmm. yeah. 94, 1993. Yeah. So it's, hello? Hello? Is Diane there? I said, uh, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, it's a bill collector. It's, it's somebody <laughs> from the law office saying I lost. Yeah. Oh, I'm no. like, uh, yeah. Uh, who are you? Yeah, that depends. Who are you? I'm a talent scout from QBC. And I said, okay, who's playing a joke on me? I hung up. <gasps> no, you did not. She called back. She called right back. And she said, <laughs> no, no, it's no joke. 
we're looking for designers who have huge name recognition from department stores to come on television. I said, well, that's never going to happen because I'm in a lawsuit and I can't use my name. And she said, oh, no problem. We have lots of other designers like you. We'll just call you Diane. And that was it. And that's how I got on TV. And it was almost, it took about a year, but it was pretty close to an instant success. I brought washable silk to TV, which washable silk, any natural fiber is great for printing and getting pure color. So it really came across the TV screen. At some point, I got more creativity and more gravitas on HSN, Home Shopping Network. But that's a sister network, so I transferred over. Um, and then we're going on and on. And I'm about number two in the network. And um, in terms of money earning and consistency. <clears throat> and then I become a widow. And I gain about 100 pounds. And I can't wear anything. And I had never loved wearing washable silk. I was really good at it. I was really good at printing, at, you know, understanding how to turn a painting I did into a print. And so I just wanted to get back into a pair of jeans again. I was now maybe 55, 56. So I go on a mission. Every weekend, or every weekend I'm not on television, I'm out shopping a category killer store like The Gap, Old Navy, for a pair of jeans that's going to fit a middle-aged body, which is what I had. Zero. Zippo. No matter where I went. So I'm thinking, oh, aging this is too difficult. I mean, you don't look that great. <laughs> to hell you with aging. <laughs> yeah, you don't look that great anymore to begin with, but now oh. you look a hundred times worse because you have nothing you love wearing. And then mm. I thought, wait a minute, Diane, hello. You've still got a sewing room with professional sewers in New York. Yeah. And you've got the machinery. You've got the people. Go out and buy three yards of denim, take your own measurements and make a jean for you. So I made a jean for me, and it totally elevated my mood and mm. changed my life, and it changed the way people treated me. They treated me as if I was smarter, more hipper, younger, mm. someone they wanted to hang with. And I, I thought at some point, hold on a second, uh-uh. This isn't just for me. Well, coincidentally, we got a female CEO at HSN, Minji Grossman, who had founded and developed with Ralph Lauren his first jean collection, Polo Jeans. She understood wow. jeans. So I went to her and I gave her the lowdown. And I said, this is like nothing in the industry. The measurements are totally different. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Give me a chance. And she said, okay, but I am not going to risk half a million dollars during prime time. So you get 
5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on a Sunday, February, icy, dark. Oh no! Morning, yeah, and and coincidentally, I just and it was coincidental actually. I had a host who was a three F was in tears because I was trying to force her to put on a jean. You're supposed to be wearing what you're selling and was screaming at me before the camera went on us. She wound up wearing jeans, but not for that show. Anyway, (laughs) we go on there. It's the middle of the night all over the country. We sell 5,000 pair of jeans in three minutes. We burnt down the phone lines. Yeah. And that, the legend began. And so we went to, we just couldn't, they, you know, I kept going back to HSN and saying, you're just leaving money on the table. If you order 25,000 and we start selling them at midnight, they're sold out by eight in the morning. If you order 50,000, they're sold out by 2 p.m. Why aren't we ordering 100,000 at a time? And so I was, I was very much at that time involved in how we put together the whole retail aura and package and planning. And then I started using my skills as we were selling basics to go back into all my rock and roll days and start doing embellished jeans, which was huge because Britney Spears, had just come out in all this embellishment and it was a thing. So, and you were then, like, I was doing this like way back when. No, I didn't <laughs> way really before think those of, girls. I, you know, I didn't think about it that way at all. I just thought to myself, a middle aged customer is going to want denim that's fancy. She's going to want it to be sparkly and special. That was huge jump in the business so then my next thing was okay hsn is domestic america yeah but qbc is all over the world so i went to qbc i went and said please give me a chance i am so sure that no matter what country you're in hormones are affecting women the same And they're going to want this. So they're very cautious. They're very good business people, and they're very cautious. They said, "Eh, all right, we'll give you a couple of shows in London, QBC UK. Sold out in a minute, shocked number one in fashion. So we got the UK. Then I went and begged for Italy. Then I begged for Germany. Then they opened up France out of Paris. Everywhere we went, we shot to number one. And then we went to Australia. And then we went to all of Canada. And so I took a bet on my generation. I felt as women age in America, for sure, they're disposable. They become invisible. And they don't want to be, but they don't know how not to be. And if you don't give them the clothing at a time in life when they need 
better mm-hmm. clothing and clothing that doesn't mock them or challenge them or oh. or make make them feel that they're overweight and so and then we we started adding sizes so we went from zero all the way up to 5x yeah. and we and you know what i think that my biggest triumph was admitting to myself at 55 56 years old that yeah i was a chubby out of shape middle-aged woman who needed help and then we, i thought okay maybe i can start to create it for me and then what i saw what it did for me then we started to share it and I think to date we've sold t- over 21 million jeans in 14 years. Wow. And then I created a top called the Easy Top, which kind of covered the midriff spare tire area. That's probably sold five, six million by now. That's about six years old. So by working with a truthful, authentic model, Admitting what our challenges are rather than denying them, I built a really amazing business. And then uh, I got breast cancer uh, Christmas Eve. Oh, my. Of 17. Yeah. And so February of 2018, I got on air. And said, I've got to leave you for a year because I've got a new job and it's saving my life. Mm-hmm. And they wow. understood. They were an amazing, ama- I had a fan base of almost 750,000 women. And they mm-hmm. were there for me every step of the way. I built my wow. own family, right? And so... It was a community, and I came back, and I had one of my biggest shows ever. Uh, it was Thanksgiving, uh, I want to say 2019, 2018. I didn't even get off air for a year. I literally, wow. I literally went for my last radiation treatment with a packed suitcase. Oh, my God. Into Mount Sinai Hospital, <laughs> oh. got my radiation treatment, got into a waiting car with my suitcase and went on TV for Thanksgiving. And um, we sold in a 23-hour period 225,000 jeans. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so it's incredible. I did that and I was on air for almost 30 years. And, um, you know, I'm somebody who wants to leave the party at the height of the party. I don't want to leave it when you're sitting on the floor with a beer can and smoking cigarettes and throwing the stubs <laughs> into the beer can. I want to leave while the champagne is still pouring. So um, I felt that because cable TV was diminishing, I felt that teleretail was was way over its growth period. And I asked, and when you have a life-threatening disease, like cancer is, you ask yourself questions. It changes yeah. you. For me, it was a great teacher. Breast cancer was, was a great 
and really amazing pivotal point in my life. But knowing how precious life was and knowing that at my age, 77, um, time is my greatest advantageous commodity. I said, do you want to go on doing this to the day you die? Because you can. And the answer was no. Do you want to do something new? Yes. What skills do you take with you? I can't. Well, I sold my company. I sold my name. So I could have do part of the deal, which you can't do fashion anymore. But okay, I'm 77. All right. I can still buy clothes I like. So that helps a lot. <laughs> um, I said, well, I think I've developed communication skills from being on TV forever. And what do you like? I love social media. I love TikTok. I love Instagram. I love podcasts. Well, maybe you could do podcasts. I knew I was not an individual who could retire. I knew that my identity was too tied up with helping women and being productive and effective. But I didn't know how to do it. So we put my name at, you know, kind of out in the ethers. And within four weeks, somebody called me and said, want to do a podcast, a weekly podcast? And I said, yeah. And so I learned and I co-hosted with a gentleman. And then I thought, you know what? This is unfair to this guy. He's a really <laughs> nice guy, but I want to do subject matter all about women. I want to help and elevate women's lives over 50. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh my God, I've never been on air alone. Like I've always done a podcast. A podcast <laughs> you're really, you're not allowed to be on television alone for tele retail. You've always got to have a host. Could I really do it? And so I said about, studying every really good female anchor on CNN, mm. MSNBC, the morning show, Good Morning America, that and got their rhythm and got their cadence and understood how they perceive their audience and how you keep the attention. And um, so when we started the podcast within, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 weeks, there's a service on YouTube that rates you um, for your podcast. So we got into it. Was, they chose 87 podcasts that were focused on women over 55 and helping their lives. Then within another four weeks, we went to number 27 and then we just got into we just got into the top ten. So wow. I knew the universe was telling me that's a great you're life. Doing the Keep right, going. Yeah, you're, that's you're right. Doing the right thing. Yeah. So I'm I'm hoping at the age of seventy eight that and I'm loving what I'm doing again. I'm so inspired. I'm I'm so reinvigorated and I think if you're someone like me that always took chances, always believed in yourself, no matter whether anybody else did, 
always stuck by what you knew in your heart was right, whether it was that you had talent but nobody else could recognize it, or you were meant to leave a very comfy and secure position, and who in their freaking right mind would start a new business at 77, 78 years old, <laughs> me. Um, I couldn't be happier. Oh, my gosh. I feel so amazed. And I feel like I meet fascinating people like you every day. And I learn something new. And I just feel so energetic all the time. So, you know, my advice is, and I think I'm going to just regress for one minute. It would have never happened if I hadn't had breast cancer. Because Mm -hmm. breast cancer, when you do something for a long time, and you could almost do it in a coma, and at the same time, you're very respected in that part of your industry. You build up a lot of walls. People Mm -hmm. don't. They don't dare criticize you because they're criticizing the number one. And you, in turn, really don't meet many new or challenging situations Mm. because you've got a formula. Yeah. And so when I got breast cancer, um, I suddenly realized cancer didn't care. It didn't care that I live in a penthouse on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. Cancer mm-hmm. didn't care that I was number one on teleretail. Cancer yeah. didn't care that I was glamorous. Didn't care about any of that. I was just another opportunity the way all these women in the waiting room were. Mm-hmm. And um, I always tell this story. What really got me to my own heart energy, which you can only get to through allowing yourself to be vulnerable. So I went to an incredible clinic within Mount Sinai Hospital called Dubin Breast Cancer Clinic for women only. Beautiful white orchids everywhere developed by a doctor, Eva Dubin who did not like her own cancer, breast cancer experience. So she decided to build a clinic with everything in it a woman would want. We even got foot and shoulder massages during chemo. We got catered organic lunches. We had white orchids in our private chemo rooms. So I'm sitting in the chemo room. And believe me, I'm used to being recognized. I I was at the height of my career. I'm used to people going, oh, my God, it's you, Diane Gilman. Can I have your autograph, whatever? Okay. So I'm sitting in the chemo room. And I suddenly hear next door, oh, Sheila. Oh, my God. I immediately thinking to myself, because I can only relate to my own little world. Oh. She must be a news anchor, or she must be on GMA, or she must be a soap opera star. And everybody comes running in. Oh, Sheila, oh, my God, you look so good. It's so good to see you. Well, they offer you lunch every time you're there. I passed on the lunch. But they said to her, Sheila, 
we've got your very favorite lunch today. And shh, don't tell anybody. We saved an extra three of them for you. We're going to give them to you. <laughs> so open up your bag. And I'm thinking, who is this woman? <laughs> so the nurse comes in finally after they're done with Sheila to check <laughs> on me. And I said, excuse me, do I look like chopped liver? You didn't even ask me if I want lunch. And she said, Diane, you never have lunch. I said, well, (laughs) I know, but you might ask. And she said, okay, Diane, do you want lunch? And I said, well, no, thank you. (laughs) But but it's good that you asked me. I said, and by the way, I said, who is Sheila? Is she like a, a famous soap opera star or news anchor? And they said, no, Diane. She's a homeless woman who lives in a shelter, has stage three breast cancer, and the food is so horrible in the shelter that she'll go without eating for days because she can't afford to walk out and buy a meal. So every time she's here, she loves the sandwiches. We give her as many as we can. Well, that said everything to me. Yeah. That was like, just slap me upside the head, right? <laughs> right? Like yeah. the world, my dear. Yeah, I cry almost every time I tell the story. <laughs> oh my God. The uh, world does not revolve around you and your baby boomer gene <laughs> and your this and your that and your Rolex gold watch. And uh-uh. Yeah. And that whole experience taught me empathy, taught me compassion, taught me understanding, and taught me that the best energy and the most effective energy and the energy that everybody needs right now is energy straight and authentically from the heart. And so Mm -hmm. when I started my podcast, I knew the energy I needed to emit and radiate and yeah. I, I it is i am devoted to making women over the age of 55 happy and if you are under the age of 55 i hope i lay down a roadmap for how to age successfully joyously and productively mm. oh my gosh as a 42 year old woman i could not appreciate what you're doing more because I foresee, I foresee that. And I'm already feeling some of those things about, Oh yeah. I do try to dress nicely because I know it makes me feel better. I was almost 300 pounds at one time. And at that time I couldn't, I couldn't buy, they had, we had Lane Bryant and that was about it. There was no torrid. There was no, there was nothing for me. I went up to 200 pounds. So I'm right there with you. Oh, that was was so hard. But, so, but, but not, you think you have to do the thing first. You have to lose the weight first before you can wear the nice clothes. But if you can just find something that fits your body, you will feel motivated to do better things, to, right? To That's lose the weight, yeah. You've given us all. That's such a gift. Yeah, mm. yeah. so, you know, um, I, I assumed from how successful we were with fashion that a lot of the industry would follow. But nope, nope. It's just obsessed, obsessed with youth. So. I was relieved to be able to move on and to be still number one when I when I said goodbye. 
And I was very liberated to find a wider platform where I didn't have to be selling all the time to get a valid point across because the network, uh, I drove them crazy because I didn't have just a straight sell, 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 buy, buy, buy. I told stories about my clothing, stories from the point of view of a middle-aged woman, me, wearing them all the time because it was such a challenge to find anything to wear. And I, through that, became a storyteller. And now I tell stories about what it's like to grow older mm-hmm. and how I think we get such a bad rap. First of all, I don't want to be invisible and I don't want to be disposable, but it's a battle and I need more conscriptors into my army of battling against right being degraded being degraded as older women and you know honestly i know it sounds crazy and even though i went through breast cancer in my 70s these have been the happiest years of my life and this year well i started podcasting end of january beginning of february the happiest year of my life. I love what I'm doing and it's age appropriate and I can talk from my heart and I mean what I say. And I'm always very careful to be, well, I just am authentic period. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's a great time. It's a great time to be a storyteller and a communicator and want to build a community around you of what I call the forgotten women. So um, I've got a mission. I know what I want for my legacy. I want women to think after I've moved to another plane. um, Wow. She really helped my life or Mm -hmm. she really, she really showed me how to get to happiness. Mm -hmm. So I am 100% devoted to all of you. And I would say if you've got, and we, interestingly enough, over 50% of our audience on my podcast, Too Young to Be Old, are from 25 to 50. It's younger women that are saying it's inevitable. I like Mm. the way you look, Diane. I like what you say. I like what you're doing. How How can I prepare to get there as I get older? You know, um... Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones said something amazing. He's still alive for everything he's <laughs> And um, yeah. And um, he said something so amazing. They asked him in an interview, God, you're like the essence of the bad boy, rock and roll. You are truly a Rolling Stone how do you feel about getting old? And he said, life's a funny thing. Nobody wants to grow old, but nobody wants to die young. Okay. Uh, okay. Choices, ladies. <laughs> we better make the most out of it. And I think the other thing um, that I got out of a dual whammy, which was being 72 when I was diagnosed. So being in my 70s and having not, not a great and hopeful diagnosis 
was, oh my God, life is so precious. It mm-hmm. don't ever, I hear, I hear younger women all the time say, oh, life sucks. Oh, no, no, do not say that. Big, mm-hmm. big sin, big sin. <laughs> life is extraordinary. Life is a miracle. And getting older is a privilege, not a punishment. And learn how to do it better than me. You know, learn, learn, start eating right now. Keep exercising. Be your own health and activity um, advocate. Mm-hmm. And be, you are in charge of you. Don't wait for other people to give you permission. Do it yourself. That's right. Oh my gosh. Where I, I cannot believe my mind is so full and so blown. I just can't like, <laughs> I, I usually put this on during like moments. Well, about the third guest that came on and said, I was really expecting you to have an actual crown for Queen's lead. I was like, okay, I got to go over to Amazon and get one. But here's I the crown. That. Everything you said is absolute golden gem crown stuff. Thank I'm so you. grateful for your Thank experience you. and for your wisdom that you've shared with us today. Where can we find your podcast? What is it called again? My podcast, I've got my own YouTube channel. You're going to go to thedianegilman.com, all in small caps. Okay. No separation of words. TheDianeGilman.com. And then go to Too Young, as in you'll always, and I hope this for all of you, that you will all and always be Too Young to Be Old. That is the title of my podcast. And we just amped it up to two podcasts per week. So in October... One set of podcasts, five podcasts will be about breast cancer, fascinating reveals and guests. And the other five will be just all sorts of varied subjects. And so um, we just keep it real and we keep it exciting and we keep it fast paced. We keep it informational and aspirational and inspirational and conversational. I love yes. it. I can't wait to go listen. <laughs> I'm so blessed to be connected with this you now. This was fabulous. I was Thank amazing. You. Thank you so much, Diane. You are incredibly um, the definition of a queen leader. You are leading as a queen and developing other queens. That's literally the intro to my podcast is developing, leading the developing queens in all of us. And that's yep. exactly what you're doing. So thank you. Thank you so much thank for you your time. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. The Queen's Lead podcast is recorded worldwide and produced by the kick-ass media team at the Height Digital home base in Nicaragua. Until our next episode, stay real, Queens, and go lead. Remember to tap that follow and leave your review. For freebies and more real, inspiring content you love, go to amysingleton.net. And connect with Amy on our socials at The Real Amy Singleton. One more thing. This is the legal language. What my lawyer wrote and what I need to read to you. This podcast is presented for educational and entertainment purposes only. I am Amy Singleton and I'm just your friend. Although I may speak to many on this show, I am not a psychotherapist, a business coach, a doctor, a CPA, a lawyer, or probably anyone who should be giving you professional advice. This podcast is not a substitute for a relationship with your doctor, coach, or any other licensed professional. Got it? Good. Now go be a queen and follow me at The Real Amy Singleton.